0: Alrighty, at this time we're going to reconvene, so if you could please take your seats, especially you, Blake, especially you. So first off, it's a, it's a pleasure of mine to, to get to address you guys uh, this morning, especially since uh, it is a very special occasion during the year, uh, we're entering into uh, Advent uh, season, and so um, let us define what Advent is just so that everybody is is on the same page and so we know what it is that we're getting done uh, here this morning. And so Advent means the arrival of something important. Um, And so the season that we are entering into is the expectant arrival of someone who is of great importance. Unfortunately and, and sadly, in our commercialized Christmas season, That important and awaited thing oftentimes is uh, Santa Claus for our kids, uh, gifts from our family and friends, time away from work. And while all these things are not inherently evil, unfortunately they have served the devil in distracting the people of God from what it is that we are looking forward to coming. During the season it is said that retail stores that have spent most of the year in the red break even during this season because sales are up. Somewhere along the way, Advent season has become about the arrival of new things, uh, whether that be new toys, new clothes, new shoes, new laptops, new headphones, or just new phones in general, all of which serve mostly to distract the people away from the gift of God that came in the form of a child, and so my dear friends, I pose a question for you this morning. Have you been distracted by the commercial industry that now dominates the Advent season? So much shopping and buying for one's own. Have you forgotten that this season is about someone who is given for you? Do you think of how wondrous it is that God gave his only begotten son, that God dressed himself in human flesh and walked among us? do you marvel at such a reality? That God who created the universe condescended to walk upon the earth with us. How this truth should really melt our brains in contemplation. But perhaps such a contemplation does not inspire awe and wonder because in large part we have forgotten. We've forgotten who God is and we've forgotten who we are. So this morning we are gonna look at three things. We're gonna look at who we are, we're going to look at who God is, and we're going to look at the wonder of Advent. And so we have forgotten our history. Many preachers in our day seem quite content to be more like therapists than heralds of God's word. In our day, mankind's greatest problem has been reduced down to lack of self-esteem, unfulfilled dreams, and anxiety. What ails mankind's life is that things do not and are not going the way we plan. Our coworkers do not treat us as we think we deserve. Our children do not behave the way we would like them to. The job we have is not life-giving. Our bosses are too demanding. While these things may be true in part, that is not the ultimate issue that plagues you or anyone else who will ever be born in the world, the history of mankind gives us a glimpse into the epidemic that now plagues us, the darkness that swirls about, the wickedness that clings so closely, the misery that oftentimes accompanies this short life. We've forgotten that mankind has a serious illness, and not an illness like a cold or the flu or pneumonia that weakens the body, but a disease that resembles a cancerous growth that has infected the entire body. Except this disease is worse than cancer itself, for it is, the very, is it in the very soul of man, the very core of his being. And so hear the words of Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so did you hear those all-encompassing terms there? Every intent was only evil continually. And this is what actually plagues the human existence. Here also, verses 11 and 12 from the same chapter. Now, the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for humanity had corrupted its way upon the earth. And so since the fall of man, man has been enslaved to sin, Man is not mostly good and does some bad. Man is not partially good and partially bad. Man is not bad, but yet deep down desires to do good. Man is not predisposed to do good. Man is completely and utterly ruined by sin, totally depraved in his very nature, unable and unwilling to do that which is good or even seek the remedy for his malady and even the good he does he does for self-righteous motivations that are abhorrent to the lord hear the prophet isaiah in chapter 64 beginning in verse 6 for all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment and all of, and all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away Here are also the words of Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. There is none righteous, no, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness." Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their path, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. My dear friends, this is the world that the Lord looks upon, not a world with some people who are seeking after God, but he is hiding himself from view, not men who long to serve God but just don't know how, no, the world is a fallen mass of vessels worthy of destruction this is the condition of all mankind and so with this in view at the forefront of our minds let us now consider who our god is for this discussion we will quickly look at psalm 99 the lord reigns let the peoples tremble he is enthroned above the cherubim let the earth shake The Lord is great in Zion, and he is exalted above all peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The strength of the king loves justice. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in a pillar of the cloud. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, and yet an avenger of their evil deeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for holy is the Lord our God. And so you might have noticed that the reoccurring phrase in this psalm is holy, holy. Is he? Holy is he. But what does this phrase mean? In a word, it is his very nature. The very nature of God is holy, completely and totally set apart in moral purity. Even the creatures like the cherubim who were created to dwell in the presence of the Lord are beneath him. God is perfectly just and righteous in his judgments. And what does this mean? Well, in a word, it means that God can do nothing but what is right. Evildoers must be punished for their crimes. Sin must be punished for what it is. God cannot and does not allow the criminal to go free or pardon the guilty. Yet this text also tells us that he is forgiving. But how can a God who is perfectly righteous in his judgments and perfectly just in the execution of that judgment allow a mass of fallen, sinful, and rebellious creatures to go free? This is the dilemma of Holy Scriptures is that God is good and we are not. And so, how can a good God allow bad people? To go free. How can a just God pardon guilty creatures? How can He pardon you? How can He treat you any other way than how you deserve without compromising His very nature? Well, let us turn to our text uh, this morning where we find the solution to the great dilemma that faces us. And so, if you will, uh, in your Bible apps or in your Bibles, turn to uh, our first text, which will be Isaiah chapter nine, beginning in verse two. And so again, remember that in light of the great darkness that is the existence that we now live because of our own sin, remember that this season is about a great light who has come to us. There's been a gift that has been given to us that is unlike any other gift that you will ever receive in this life or in the life to come. And so let us read Isaiah chapter nine, verses two through seven together. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness, they will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of, ha- of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. for you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every booter, the booted uh, warrior is the battle of tumult. And cloak rolled excuse me and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of uh, the peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Again, did you notice the condition of the people in this text? They walk in darkness. They live in a dark land. They have a yoke that is burdensome upon their backs. Behold the joy of Advent. My dear friends, does this not sound familiar? Do you feel as if darkness swirls around you? That you have a heavy burden upon your back? Have your sins multiplied, does the shame that is rightfully yours cling closer to you than your dearest friend? Are you haunted by past and present failures? Brothers and sisters, this child was given for someone like you, the child who is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal father, and the prince of peace. What is better in the days of darkness than a counselor? How often we let our burdens be heard by men who can do nothing but listen, instead of taking our sorrows to him who not only hears but has power to act, for he is also the mighty God. How much comfort should come to our hearts that he is also the prince of peace. Do you feel as if you cannot approach God because of your unworthiness? Well, you do well to remember how terrible you are and know that you are worse than you can imagine. And yet the child was given that bridges the gap that you yourself cannot. Which is why he is the prince of peace, for he brings peace between you and your God. Look, this is the promised child. And if you think back to last week, uh, Reverend Dan was in Genesis chapter three, and in Genesis 3.15, right after the fall, God makes a promise to Adam and Eve that the woman would have a seed that would crush the head of the serpent. And here again in Isaiah, the promised child is spoken of. This child is the expected one, the one who will bring redemption and reconciliation. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter one, beginning in verses 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and he shall be called uh, Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and they called his name Jesus. And so in this passage, we finally see who the promised child is. His name is Jesus, the expected one. Behold, the world was not waiting for a George Washington or an Abraham Lincoln, a John Adams, a Martin Luther King Jr., An Alexander Hamilton, a Benjamin Franklin, a Nelson Mandela, a John Calvin, a Martin Luther, a Charles Spurgeon, or a Billy Graham. Though each of these men has contributed in various ways, none of them were spoken of or promised to be born in the places where they were born. Jesus alone stands as the only promised and expected person, To further articulate this point, consider how human history is divided. We have BC, before Christ, and we have AD, which is a Latin phrase that I don't know how to pronounce. But even as they have tried to change this over the years, uh, the secular community has changed it now to BCE and CE, right, before the Common Era and the Common Era. But one of the things that people cannot get around is that human history is divided at the coming of one person. And his name is Jesus, the only expected person, the long-awaited person who alone divides human history. What is his mission? What is it that the promised child came to do? And we see in this text what it is that he came to do, and it is this, he will save his people from their sins. Again, this should be something that we marvel at, that he has come. Believer, take courage. He did not come on a whim as if he had nothing better to do. Listen again, he will save his people from their sins. It was he who set his electing love upon you to save you specifically and to reconcile you individually to your God. He came to pay the debt that you owed for your sins. He came to live a life of perfect obedience that you yourself should have lived but failed to do. He came to die upon the cross condemned as if he were a criminal like you. He came that he may take all the wrath of God that is rightfully yours and give you his righteousness, that God may now look upon you as if you had never sinned. Dear friends, this is the wonder of Advent that God came in the flesh, that he, the infinite God who created the entire universe, would himself take on human flesh and walk upon the very world that he created. He did not merely say, I love you, from his holy mountain, but he came to you. He sought you out, and he accomplished what you could not accomplish on your own. This is Advent. And so this season, in the midst of all the busyness, in the midst of all of our decorations, in the midst of all of our shopping and preparing to spend time with family, let us remember what Advent is about, Advent is about the child who is given for you that your sins may be paid for, that you through repentance and faith may be reconciled to your God to enjoy a relationship with him temporally here on earth to be enjoyed fully at the second coming of Christ where you will spend an eternity of eternities in perfect union with your God because of what the child has done. This season is about remembering the Messiah who came in the flesh, born to a virgin from the line of David, the line of the tribe of Judah. And again, his mission, to seek and to save that which was lost. Let us pay attention to so great a salvation, so beautiful a gift. And not a gift that perishes with time and use, but a gift that is imperishable, one that can be enjoyed forevermore. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we conclude uh, listening to your words uh, this morning, Lord, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep this pressed upon our minds and strengthen our hearts to believe your truth. For Lord, we can do nothing apart from you. Give us the strength to believe that this is true, that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, that we are perfectly reconciled to you because of what he has done and not because of anything we ourselves can do. Lord, this Advent season, may we spend more of our time devoted to knowing you and less time being distracted upon all the other things that steal our attention. Lord, may this worship be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.